This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Let us uh, let us begin. Okay. The Jewish nation are commanded to be a holy nation, and there are various activities, various mitzvahs, and various conditions that guarantee that we remain the Am Hanivcha, the Am Hakadosh. One of those issues the Torah tells us to prevent us from and sin is a concept called tzaras. In a time in the base of Migdash, if a person spoke Lashon Hara, he contracted, contracted tzaras. There are other ways that one could get tzaras as well, but one of the primary ways that a person would get tzaras would be by speaking Lashon Hara. Now, while the outer manifestation is something you might call a skin condition, the Mitzorah has entered a state of tumah, which now forces him to be removed from normal life. He has to go outside the Machaneh, he leaves the encampment, and he remains separated from the rest of the Jewish nation until he's purified. Part of the purification process, the Torah tells us, Tziva koim lakach lamatayr, the Kohen commands and takes for the matar for the person who's becoming purified, shnei tziporim chayos toros, two birds that are alive and a tohar. He also takes a eitz eras and shnei tolas azov. he takes a hysop, he takes a purple thread, and the various activities has to do with this. Rashi explains why is it that the part of the carbon is two tziporim chayas toros, two birds that are toros, and because Rashi explains the reason why Nagaim come, the reason why Taras comes is because of Lashon Hara, and it has to be specifically birds that are tor. Birds that are tor typically are songbir- songbirds, they prattle, and, and since Lashon Hara is maise betute dvarim, it's an act of prattling, Therefore, it's just appropriate that the carbon should be tziporim, should be birds that prattle. What did he do? His sin was chatter, prattling, and therefore bring a bird that jabbers, that prattles, as the carbon to atone for him. And that's how Rashi explains why the shnei tziporim toros are brought, two birds and tohorim are brought as the carbon. Now, if you think, think about this, Rashi, I think it's a little bit curious, because if you listen in a spring day, to the formation of sounds, you'll hear a beautiful, beautiful entree of different sounds that come from the woods. And if you listen to birds chirping, you'll hear an unending stream of sound. It's almost like turning on the kitchen faucet. You'll hear chirps, short chirps, long chirps. You'll hear different patterns. But all of it is merely thoughtless chirping the bird will say the same call again and again and again and again. And that's why it's called prattle. It's called prattle because it's merely thoughtless, mindless, and just on and on and on. It might have one call. It might have two calls. It may use a different call at different times, but it's again and again and again. It certainly makes sense why that is called chatter, and that's prattle because it's thoughtless and mindless. The problem is what does that have to do with Lashon Hara? Lashon Hara is human speech intelligent human speech. And human speech requires tremendous amount of thinking, tremendous amount of understandings. A person can take entire concepts, entire ideas, and give it over in but a few words. As a matter of fact, that which distinguishes man from animal is, as the Pusik says, Lenefesh Chaya, Hashem blew into man the Ruach Malalala, the speaking man. And Hashem gave wisdom to Adam it was the ability to form thoughts, to speak thoughts out. And speech is not simply prattle. Speech is where a person actually often concretizes thoughts, 
Sully expresses it, and there's an expression that's well worth thinking about. And most people become aware of your opinion at the same time that you do when you speak it. Meaning oftentimes it's as we speak, we're forming our opinions. The mind is racing, the mind is thinking, we're forming the word. Certainly if you think in learning and you speak in learning, you're sort of trying to flesh out that concept. You sort of hear it and you're putting it into words. By putting it into words, you're not merely expressing, you're actually defining. You're taking the concept and concretizing it. You're taking the concept and bringing it into clear precision. How could you compare that to prattle of a bird? The bird just jabbers and jabbers and jabbers. Human thought is with understanding, with thinking, with great depth of knowledge. This Rashi doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And why would Rashi say that you bring, because the person speaks Lashon Hara, you bring the bird, the bird prattles, so the person prattles. And Lashon Hara is not prattle, it's human expression. The bird's chatter is very different. What does this Rashi mean? And to understand the answer to this, I think we need to better understand what Lashon Hara is, and how the Torah views it. So let's begin with a very basic definition. The Rambam in Hilchazdeah says, If one tells over stories, Shagorm, that cause, Nishmu, that cause if they're heard, Lahazik Chaveru. If a person tells over a story that causes damage, whether it be Begufo Momono, whether it be in his body or in his money, even if it just causes him pain, or even just scares him, the very definition of is words that damage. They could damage a person's reputation, they could damage a person's financial situation, can damage a person's shalom bias, can damage a person's standing in the community, can damage a person's reputation. But the very definition of is words that hurt, words that damage. And it's very important to remember that to become Lashon Hara, by definition, it must be true. If there's an element of falseness in it, it's also forbidden, but that's something else altogether. That's Moti Shemra. By definition, Lashon Hara are true words that hurt a person's reputation, standing, position, words that hurt, words that damage. And if you think about it, they're really quite common. I'll give you some examples. Imagine we're speaking, and I tell you, you know, that fellow, you know, I hear his business is really uh, is in financial trouble. I hear his business is really uh, kind of shaky. That is Lashon Hara. You'll say, why is that Lashon Hara? First of all, it's factual. And second, well, I didn't have him mind hurting him. But if you understand the damage to a man's reputation, if you understand that if he had clients, they may leave him. Or if he was looking to get new clients, they may not sign on with him. Now, make no mistake. There is a time when you're supposed to and you're obligated to speak <clears throat> words like that. If you're entering into a business situation with someone and you ask me for information, that's called it to Ellis. If I factually know that his business is in trouble, I'm obligated to tell you because you're going to enter into a business deal with him. And if you don't know this information, potentially you're going to be damaged. So that's not Lashon Hara. There it's a mitzvah. I'm obligated to tell you. But assuming there is no positive benefit, but I just tell you, you know, I heard his business is uh, he's in financial trouble. I'm damaging his reputation, potentially damaging his business, certainly damaging his standing in the community. How about they have a child with emotional problems? That's not Lashon Hara. They didn't cause it. They didn't make it. Well, I'd just like to ask you a very simple question. Is it public knowledge? Does everyone know about it? Very likely not. And very likely they're not interested in knowing about it. And very likely that information will damage either that child or other children in the family, or even if it just merely embarrasses the parents. If they don't want it out, they don't want it to be known. 
for whatever reason, they're discreet about it. They don't want it known. And you spread that word. You're damaging them. You're damaging their standing. You're damaging their reputation. You're causing them pain. What was the issue? What was the prohibition? Prohibition is causing pain to another child. Let's say I tell you that guy has a temper. He's arrogant. He's stingy, self-centered. He's lazy. Hey, you know, he's modern. He's not really a from guy. He's kind of modern. What's wrong with that? He's modern. He is. He's proud of it even. And now, if in fact he's proud of it, but it's disparaging to his reputation, well, guess what? It's damaging words. But you have to recognize one thing. Any words that damage a person's reputation, damage his standing, are words that are considered Lashon Hara. I'll give you some examples only because I'm a little sensitive to this one. The rabbi, <laughs> I heard him get up there at the say a speech on Shabbos. He was prattling on everything. He knew what he was talking about. Very nice. And the Vaza Tamachachim, probably, it's by the way, it might just probably radically false. But let's even say you're right. And let's even say the rabbi was prowling and didn't know what he was talking about. Do you understand the damage that you're doing to his reputation? You understand the damage? By the way, I've been there in shul. I was in shul. I'll even say the name. Rav Avram Chaim Foyer was a rav here when I came to Muncie about 20 years ago. And I was a little bit, I consider myself a Tom Chavar of Rav Foyer. And I would go to shul specifically to hear him speak. A brilliant, brilliant Tom But he spoke Divri Musa and it was really... I was often just in this aura, very, very moved by his words. One Shabbos, I'm sitting there, and I went there specifically because I wanted to hear him. And when he's finished, a man in back says to his 13-year-old son, what the rabbi, what are you talking about? He said nothing. He said nothing the whole time. And I couldn't believe my ears. Number one, he did not say nothing because I believe I know how to learn as well as that fellow behind me does, or probably a lot better. I'm certainly older than him. I spent many more years in yeshiva. And believe me, Rabbi Foyer was saying very deep, very meaningful concepts. But let's even say you think so. What are you doing to your child? You're speaking disparaging words about a rov to your child, to your 13-year-old child. You're destroying his neshama. But when you recognize this single fact, Lashon Hara are words that damage, words that denigrate, words that put a person down. If you'd like to better understand how to frame this, I have a little muscle. So many years ago when my kids were little, they were reading Harry Potter and I think it's in the first Harry Potter when Harry Potter gets his cloak of invisibility. He puts his cloak on and he becomes invisible and he gets to run around invisible. Okay, imagine I have an invisibility cloak and I put it on and I'm in the base medrash and I see a guy gets up so what do I do? I close the safe. He comes back. Another guy looks away. I turn the safe around. Upset. Hey, what's this? Hey, I'm having a jolly old time. I'm having a good time. And then I decide to step this up a little bit. As one guy walks by, I stick my foot out. Trip. He falls. <laughs> Great joke. As another guy comes by, I smack him. Oh, <laughs> he can't see me. <laughs> Explains the Chavetz Chaim. There's a curse in the Torah. Oror makere eu beseser. Cursed is the one who hurts his friend in hiding. Explains the time this refers to Lashon Hara. Why are you saying those words? And why are you describing what happened? Why? Very simply because he's not there. The quickest cure to Lashon Hara is the minute Baharag Baragalov, the minute the guy shows, oh, I didn't mean, all of a sudden everybody stops. Why? It's because he's not there that you're saying it. And because he's not there, you're ruining his reputation and destroying his standing, words that hurt, words that damage. 
And when you become a little bit sensitive to this, you realize it's all over all the time. And I'd like to share with you, it's a full lo in the Torah. Lo selech rochel ba'amecha. Do not be a tailbearer in your nation. Loshanara is fully forbidden, as forbidden as tray food, as forbidden as shatnas, as forbidden as any losa say in the Torah. It's absolutely forbidden. So here's the question. Why do we speak Loshanara? We don't eat cheeseburgers. We don't <clears throat> wear shatnas. Why is it that lavim in the Torah taken very, very seriously? If it's a Durabanan, if it's a question of Durabanan, we don't do it. I ate meat three three hours ago, six hours ago. I ate meat. Do I eat milk or not? Wouldn't dream of it. Yet when it comes to Lashon Hara, all of a sudden, it's, why is it that we don't eat treif, we don't wear shatnas, but for some reason we do speak Lashon Hara? And I believe there are two reasons for it. First reason is because we don't recognize it as damaging. It just talk. I'm just speaking. It's not damaging. And I'd like to give you a little muscle <clears throat> to what that means in plain, simple language. This takes me back a few years ago, but when I was in fourth grade, my brother and I were waiting for the bus, and somehow we saw a pack of matches. So I picked it up, and fourth grade, I was, uh, I don't know whether it was English or Hebrew, and at some point I got bored, and I went to the bathroom, and I took out a match, and I lit it and threw it into the toilet, took out another match, lit it and threw it into the toilet. I was having a jolly old time, lighting the matches, throwing it into the toilet. Okay. I go back to class. About a half hour later, the principal comes, asks to see me. Apparently, another child had seen me playing with the matches, reported it to the principal, and I was suspended. Now, you have to imagine the busha for a fourth grader to be suspended for a week. I had to spend a week at home for playing with matches. And I remember vividly when I got back on the school bus after a week of being suspended, it felt like every eye on that school bus was peering right into the essence of me. I felt like the laughing stock of the school, and the bush is hard to describe. Okay, but whatever, life goes on. I want you to imagine that when I got suspended, some mothers in the class were talking that night. Now, this didn't actually happen, but let's imagine it did. And Mrs. Schwartz calls up Mrs. Cohen, said, did you hear about the Schaefer kid? No, hear what? Well, I hear he was playing with matches. I'm not sure if he was playing with matches. He was trying to start a fire, but Mrs. Cohn said, whoa, starting a fire, that's terrible. Mrs. Cohn calls Mrs. Levy. Hey, did you hear about the Schaefer kid? I heard he was trying to start a fire. I don't know if he was trying to start a fire, just burn down the actual building. But and Mrs. Levy said, oh, my goodness, burn down the actual building. That's terrible. And Mrs. Levy calls Mrs. Goldstein. Mrs. Goldstein, did you hear? No, what? The Schaefer kid. I heard he's, he was trying to burn down the building. I don't know if he meant to have the kids in it or kids escape. That's terrible, said Mrs. Goldstein. He belongs in a psychiatric ward. Okay. Anyway, this didn't happen, but imagine it did. And imagine 15 years later, a shidduch is read, and it's the name Schaefer. A fine young woman is read the name Schaefer, and she, her parents look into the fellow a little bit, and they call Mrs. Goldstein. And Mrs. Goldstein says, well, I don't want to be known to tell you this, but I heard this Schaefer fellow, uh, he must have spent a few weeks in psychiatric ward in fourth grade, because I remember he was trying to burn down the building. Now, I don't mean to be funny, and it didn't happen, and Baruch Hashem, my kids are married and we're good. But do you understand that that type of thing happens all day, every day? I tell a story, someone else tells a story, embellishes a little bit, adds a little bit more, adds a little bit more, and the telephone chain goes on and on. And by the time the damage is done, it morphs out of proportion, and it sounds innocent, but guess what? It's not. That's exactly how the Rambam defines Lashon Hara. 
<coughs> words that hurt, words that damage. Damage a person's reputation and person's standing. They denigrate him, disparage, malign. And I believe the first reason why we speak Lashonara is because we don't see it that way. It's just a story. I told you a story. The bakery, you know, they bake stale cake. That's how I, I didn't mean anything bad. I didn't mean it, to, you know, to, to, to ruin their business. I just, but do you know how much damage it does? The first reason we speak Lashonara, I believe, is because we don't see the damage. But the second reason is a little bit different. And that's because we don't recognize that it's actually really forbidden. And I'll give you a very classic example. Um, we all do things and we all don't do things. So, for instance, I know that I should exercise. I know I should eat right. But listen, you know, life is busy. And unfortunately, most of us never get around to it. Over time, explains that's how most people look at Lashon Hara. Listen, I, I'm not, you're not going to get the front row and get Aiden, but it's not like it's really forbidden. Don't make it like it's an Isser. It's not, not like eating treif, not like eating a cheeseburger. Let's not get bent out of shape over here. And if you'd like to understand this in perspective, I'll give you a muscle. Imagine you're at a shul dinner. Three, four hundred people at the dinner. Everyone's fine, a wonderful time. And you come home and you get a phone call. It turns out the food was treif. Tray food, oh my goodness, 350 people eating tray food. They have a whole assembly, Tehillim, Chuva. What do we do? Oh, terrible, terrible catastrophe. Okay, I get it. Let's change the scenario a little bit. You go to shul dinner. The president gets up to speak, and he tells a story about somebody, <laughs> and everybody laughs. But it turns out that it's a disparaging story. And it's not really so nice. Hey, come on. Don't, let's not get bent out of shape. It's not like, it's, it's not like eating treif. Well, I'd like to share with you, it's exactly like eating treif, but a lot worse. <clears throat> because if you eat treif, you'll violate one losa, say, maybe. <clears throat> but here, you're guaranteed to violate a lot more. And explains the Chavetz that you have to recognize that it's absolutely as forbidden as treif, as pork chops, as a cheeseburger, it's exactly the same iser, and in a moment we're going to see a lot worse. Because the Chavetz Chaim makes a very interesting observation. Chazal tells us there are three cardinal sins. There are three areas which a person is obligated to give up his life. Gilei Arayas, Shvichas Damim, and Avodazara. Rather than kill another Jew, and rather than serve Avodazara, and rather than live with a married woman, a person is obligated to give up his life rather than do that. These are the three cardinal sins and the three big averas. And the Gemara tells us that worse than all of them is Lashon Hara. And the Chavetz Chaim says, how could that be? It's not true. Lashon Hara is not Yara You're obligated to give up your life not to serve Vodazar. You're not obligated to give up your life not to speak Lashon Hara. How does the Gemara tell us that Lashon Hara is even worse? And the Chavetz Chaim explains and you have to recognize that every single sin of Lashon Hara is not one sin. Number one, it's L'Selech Rachel Bamecha, which is don't be a talebearer. But number two, it's forbidden for a person to accept it. I'm not allowed to speak Lashon Hara, but you're not allowed to hear it. And if you hear it, you're not allowed to accept it. So before you turn around, we start with three separate losases. But not just that, you're not allowed to hear Lashon Hara, and you're not allowed to accept it, if I tell you, Lashon Hara, I was over I put a stumbling block in front of a blind person. That's four. I spoke, you heard, you listened, and I entrapped you in Lashon Hara. But explains the time, it goes much further than that. You have to love a fellow Jew like yourself. If you loved him like yourself, you wouldn't speak about yourself that way. 
By the way, if you want to know whether it's Lashon Hara, just ask how you would feel if there was if you were saying that about that what you're about to say about someone else, if someone else was saying it about you. If they were telling that story about you, how would you feel? It's certainly not Mahavdarecha Kamocha. And what about Betzedek Tishvaramitecha? We're obligated to judge every Jew favorably. If I know factually he did something, it's one thing. But if I just heard the story, maybe it's true, maybe it's not true. By the way, if I heard the story, I was already over listening to Lashon and being Makab Lashon and Betzedek Tishvaramitecha. And Lotisa Lavchet, don't oppress a person you're obligated to work on your midos explains the Chavetz Chaim and the count is very real 17 losa says 14 assays and 4 curses again 17 losa says and 14 assays now he explains it's unlikely that you're going to get all of them in one speech but it's also very unlikely that you won't get at least 8 or 10 losa says and assays in one single speech but here's the stranger part of it. It's every nuance and every part and maybe even every word of Lashon Hara is a separate losa say in and of itself. So let's imagine the following. Here's a cheeseburger and here's the opportunity to speak Lashon Hara. Which is worse? Cheeseburger, what are you kidding? Come on. Cheese, that's Basabachalov. So number one, I'm not even sure it is Basabachalov, but let's assume it is. Let's assume it's a type of meat that's kosher and the type of cheese that would be basukhalov, and it was cooked together. So let's even grant that it's a full losa senatora of basukhalov. And let's even say it's a Big Mac, so you have three kazasim. If you eat the full Big Mac, you ate three kazasim worth of basukhalov, so you might be over three losa says, maybe. If you speak an average speech of Lashonara, hundreds and hundreds of words, each statement for sure each part of the disparaging remark for sure is going to be tens and 20, 30, 40. You could easily be over a hundred losa says and essays with one speech of Lashon Hara. And the Chavaz of Ovas explains to us something very, very fascinating. He says, if you take a little thread, it's nothing. But add another thread to that, another thread, another thread, and twine that together. And then take another thread, another thread, twine that together and take a bunch of these twines, twine them, twine them. If you put enough of these together, you have a rope that's thick enough to hold a horse. It explains the Chavaz of there are many of areas like that. <clears throat> One of the primary is Lashon Hara. You see, it is unlikely that in your life you're going to ever eat a cheeseburger. But let's assume you do. Okay, you did it once, twice, ten times in your life. How many times are you going to wear shantanas? How many times are you going to be Mechal Shabbos? How many times are you going to do these Averas? The answer is, if you do them at all, it's going to be rather, rather infrequently. It's going to be a rather unusual situation. But the problem is the mouth moves all day, every day. And it's not hundreds, it's thousands and thousands of words. Thousands and thousands of words, each one a discrete, separate Avera, if not many, multiple Averas. And if you realize what you're doing is not tiny threads, it's thread upon thread upon thread upon twine upon twine upon twine. It's thick enough to hold back a powerful horse because it's not one act of Lashon Hara. It explains the Chavetz Chaim. Of course, it's true. are much more serious in and of themselves in Lashon Hara, but it's hundreds and hundreds of words of Lashon Hara, thousands and thousands of separate losasays and assays that gather together as thick as a rope. And that's why the Gemara says it's even worse than all three. Why? Because that's exactly how severe it is. The multiplicity, the amount of combinations of losa says is beyond description. 
But there's one more element that's interesting to note. Chavetz Chaim explains there's another Avera that will always be over anytime we speak Lashon Hara. And that is the Avera of being Mechalal Shem Shemayim. Those are Chalal Shem Kachi. Hashem said, do not desecrate, do not defame my holy name. Explains Chavetz Chaim, anytime a person speaks Lashon Hara, he's over a Chil Hashem. Why, you may ask? What's a Chil Hashem evolved? It's really quite simple. Let's assume I had a tremendous passion and I did a sin. Okay, listen, I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's proper. What are you going to do? I'm a human being. It's understandable why a person would engage in a sin of passion. But what's the huge taiva? What's the huge pull to speak Lashon Hara? What's the huge, I, I, the words are bursting at him. Okay, it's true. Maybe there's sometimes a story's going to burst out of your lips and you, 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 you can't contain. Okay. But if you think about it, the vast, vast, vast majority of the Lashon we speak is not a crime of passion. We're certainly not trying to ruin a person's reputation. It's not this juicy story I have to tell. It's just whatever. I talk, I talk, I talk. I speak about this one, speak about that one. You speak about that one. I speak, oh, I'll tell you a detail. You tell me a detail. It's prattle. Explains the Chavetz Chaim, it's a Chil Hashem. Why? Because there's no passion. <clears throat> the reason why you're doing it is because you just don't care. Number one, we don't see the damage. And number two, we don't understand that it's usr. And I think that's exactly what Rashi is telling us. The vast majority of Allah and Hara is not crimes of passion. Now I have this huge desire, and I certainly don't want to hurt the person's reputation. Just prattle. The reason why the two birds are brought as a carbon is because the bird chirps, mindless chatter, just on and on and on. And that is the vast majority of Allah Shanara. It's not to hurt people's reputation, not to damage people, certainly not crimes of passion. It's just we talk, we jabber, we chatter, we blab. And that's exactly why the appropriate carbon for Taras is the two birds. The birds chatter, most of Allah Shanara's chatter, and I believe that's what the great Kiddush is. And the great Kiddush is that it's a crime without passion, it's a crime without thought, but nevertheless, it's a huge crime. And for that reason, while it is a very severe and serious era, it's one of the easiest to cure. You see, there is no drive. There's no huge pull. All I have to do is be aware. If I'm alert and aware, suddenly it's different. And simply the most easy, best cure for Lashon Hara is to learn the halachas. Chavetz Chaim explains it, Rabbi Shal Salant explains that anytime you want to work on any area, if you learn the halachas, that's the most assured way to awaken within yourself a spirit. Number one, you'll know what's wrong and right. And the number two, it's ma'ore, yunashama. And learning the laws of Lashon Hara is certainly the best way to do that. You go to the Chavetz Chaim Herod Center, they have many books. You go to the Shemuz.com, we have an entire series on Lashon Hara, both long and short. Unfortunately, not used anywhere near as much as I would. If you have trouble finding it, let me know. Send me, a, send me an email to rebbe.shemuz.com. But when you learn the halachas, and you become aware, and suddenly the problem disappears. Because there is no drive, there's no huge taiva, no drive, no desire, and we just prattle. And once you become alert, once you become aware, you stop doing it. And I'd like to share with you one of the greatest ammunitions in the battle against Lashon Hara. If you understand one concept, I believe it'll make it infinitely easier for you to avoid speaking Lashon Hara. Here we go. Chavaz Vavaz tells us a story. He says it was once a chassid. Now, when the Chovaz of Ovis calls this man a chassid, it means an incredibly pious person. And apparently another person in town was disparaging the person, 
<coughs> speaking real negative word, about him. And this chassid took a beautiful tray, put the finest delicacies on it, and sent it with a servant to this person who was speaking Lashonar about him. The person who got the tray didn't understand what it meant, what it was doing it. So he asked this chassid, why did you send that to me? Chassid said, well, very, very simply, you sent me a gift. I feel it's only appropriate to give you a gift back. Man, so what do you mean a gift? The chassid said, when you speak Lashon Hara, they take schusim from you and give it to me. You gave me a gift of all of those schusim. I felt it's only appropriate. I give you a gift back. Explains our chassidikim. In Shemayim, there's a very careful calculation. If I speak disparagingly about a person, they take my merit and give it to him. It's taken off of my plate and give it to him. And sometimes the opposite. Sometimes his averas are put into my plate. And explains the Chavos of all this, when I leave this earth, and there are going to be many, many people who come to Shemayim, and it could be a gasp. Wow! Where did I get this treasure house? Where did I get these schusim from? Well, people spoke badly about it. I didn't even know. Yeah, but they did. And they took schusim from that person and put it onto your plate. And wait, 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 wait a minute. I, I, I learned. I had a Seder every single day for now. Where, where's the schusim? Well, sorry to tell you. That may be true, but your mouth was open. And you were plattering, and you were jabbering. And we took away schusim from you and gave it to the guy you spoke badly about. And the Marpel and Nefesh, one of the Mepharshim, explains why this is. It's justice. You damaged the person. You hurt his reputation. You hurt him financially, or you hurt his standing in the community, or you just hurt his feelings. It's only appropriate. You did damage to him. You have to make it up. So they take schusim from you and give it to him. And this alone would be scary, if not for something the Magid Misharim says. The Beit Yosef wrote the Shulchan Aruch, and it's a known fact that he had a Malach learn with him on a regular basis. In the entire Shulchan Aruch, he mentions a Malach only one time, but he wrote a Sefer called the Magid Misharim, which is discussions between he and his Malach. And in one part of the Sefer, he writes that the Malach said to him, I watch people and I can't believe them. It's like they're pouring out gold and silver. Their mouths are open and they're pouring out gold and silver, giving up schusim, giving up merits, one after another after another. I'm aghast and astonished. I can't understand these people. And when you read that line from the Malach who's speaking to the Beis Yosef, you have a different understanding of what Lashonar is. And number one, it really is damaging. Number two, it really is forbidden. But if that doesn't move us, there's a much more focal point. And that is to recognize that I'm damaging myself. Because if I'm hurting his reputation, they're going to take from me and fill in by him. And it's costing me. How hard do we work for our mitzvahs? How hard do we work on learning and dominating and chesed? And we hope we have something waiting for us. And if I knew that every time I open my mouth, I'm damaging him, but as much I'm damaging myself, because the damage that I do to him, they're going to fill in from me, oive and oive. And if you'd like to understand this in very simple terms, I'll make it as simple as pie. It used to be very difficult to acquire svarim. In the olden days, in medieval times, let's go back even further. Let's go back to the time of Rashi. In those days, every sefer was written by hand. 
Rashi script, whether Rashi wrote that script or not, it was just the printer, but every single safe was written by hand. And it wasn't until the mid-1400s, Gutenberg came along with the printing press, but basically you pay a scribe. You pay a scribe either by the day or by the letter, by the whatever, by the sheet, but he would write down letter by letter by letter. With the invention of the printing press, everything changed. Why? Because now you'd set the type, and an entire page would be just, you press it, boom, entire page reprinted. Now you can print an entire page after page after page after page. Okay. Today, that's not how life works. If I open up Microsoft Word on my computer and I hit the print, it sends it to my printer. And now for about $500 or less, you can get a printer that prints 100 pages a minute. Now imagine for a minute that you print, let's say you write 250 words on a page. And my printer prints out, let's say, 100 pages a minute. And that means to say, uh, did I say that right? I did say that right, yes. 250 words per page and 100 pages a minute, 25,000 words are going to come out of the printer in a minute. If you would like to understand what Lashon Hara is, just watch a person speaking. An average of 200 words a minute, on and on and on. But when I speak those 200 words a minute, you're listening. So I'm speaking, I'm over and over you're over and you're listening. I'm speaking, I'm over and I'm causing you to potentially listen to Slifnei Ever. You're potentially being macabre. So right away, it's every word, 200 words a minute, a minute after minute, like a stream, like a stream, but it's not two or three. As Slifnei there's again, the Chavetz Chaim counts 17 losays, 14 losays, but at the rate of 200 words a minute, just think of that printer spitting out page after page after page. That is the machine. And if this doesn't scare you, just pay careful attention to WhatsApp. Because all you got to do to destroy someone's reputation is forward a funny video that someone took that's not so funny if the video was about you. Or <clears throat> comments that people made and you forward them, or it's emails. And when you realize social media is one of the most difficult issues that we deal with today, but I want you to understand why. Because it's anything that damages a person's reputation. Let's say I say to you, you know, hey, he's not the brightest guy in the world. I just took him down in standing. Let's say I say to you, he doesn't know how to learn. I'm not saying he's an idiot. He's not the biggest tamachacham in the world. I damage his reputation. If I tell you he's not super talented, I tell you he's not smart. Anything that I say that disparages him, that puts him in a different light, is exactly in this categorical Lashon Hara. And if you're not aware of the Lachas, you're going to be over countless numbers of time. I think this Rashi teaches us a fundamental concept. And the reason why the Torah says he has to bring two birds to be retire is because most of our Lashon Hara is prattle. That's all it is. It's thoughtless, mindless, just whatever. What does it have to do with intelligent speech? Very little, because our Lashon Hara isn't intentional. We don't intend to damage. As the Raman defines Lashon Hara, it's words that damage a person's reputation, his standing, and hurts him or embarrasses him. But we don't intend that. We're just prattling. We're just speaking. But that's exactly why the carbon is the birds, because what we're doing is unintentionally doing it. And the reason we speak Lashon Hara again is, number one, we don't see it as damaging, but it is. And the proof in the pudding is when I'm the recipient, when I'm the recipient, how sensitive I am about my standing how sensitive I am about what people say about me or my family or my financial position, or if I know how to learn a donut or anything about me, I'm very, very sensitive. And why aren't I sensitive about someone else? Because I'm like that fellow behind the invisibility cloak. 
I say words because he's not here. And I tell stories because he's not here. If he were here, oh, I didn't mean, I meant, uh, it's only a backtrack. But that's why the Torah says, you're hitting your friend in hiding. You're hiding behind the fact that he's not here. The Torah says it's damaging. The Torah says it's forbidden. And the reason why it's more serious than potentially Avodazari, Gilirayas, and Shirkas Domin is because how many times are you going to speak? How many times are you going to <clears throat> Shabbos? How many times are you going to serve Avodazara? How many times are you going to be with something you're not supposed to be? How many times do you speak Lashon Hara? Countless numbers of time. And each word, many, many of errors. If you have a cheeseburger over here, Lashon Hara over here, and it's far worse to speak Lashon Hara than it is to eat the cheeseburger. We don't think about it. We don't realize it. But that's the reality. And that's what the Torah is teaching us. And I'd like to close with one last observation. It was the 1980s, and it was a small area in Queens, in the middle village, and many women there came down with throat cancer, lip cancer, and it was rather unusual because cancer clusters were known, but this was one neighborhood, and many women all came down with cancer in the throat, the tongue, the lip, and the scientists were baffled. They began searching everything imaginable, first the water, maybe radon, maybe the electrical grid, what's going on, they couldn't figure it out. After a number of years, they pieced it together. You see, back in the 50s, there had been a watch factory in that neighborhood, and many of these women worked in the watch factory. In those days, the watches were tipped with radium. They put radium on the letters because that made it glow at night. But radium happens to be radioactive. In any case, the foreman was very meticulous, and he made all the women who painted the numbers take the paintbrush, and dip in the radium, paint it on the watch face, then put it into the mouth to bring the paintbrush to a tip, and then bring it back in the radium and back to the watch face all day long. These women were putting radium into their mouth. 20, 30 years later, they all came down with lip cancer, throat cancer, and that was the reason why all these women had that terrible machala years later. I want you to imagine with me, you're standing in the 50s, and you're in that middle village watch factory, and someone comes rushing and stop, stop, what are you doing? That's radium, it's radioactive. What are you talking about? It's radioactive, don't put it in your mouth, don't do it. Don't. Well, get out, get this guy out of here, call the cops. No, you don't stand, it's radioactive, you're going to get canceled. What are you, carry the guy out. Explains all the time, when the Torah warns us not to speak Lashonara, we look, come on, you're exaggerating. Yeah. What's the big deal? It's not forbidden. It's not, that's exactly the point. You don't see the damage. But it's as damaging as putting your radium into your mouth because the damage is to your organs, to your inner organs. You're going to give up your schusim. You're going to damage yourself. We don't see it. We don't recognize it. But that's exactly what the Torah is telling us. The Matara has to bring two birds because it's mindless chatter. Once we become aware of it, that alone is enough to stop it. And certainly knowing that we're giving up so much schusim should allow us to stop. You have to learn the halachas, have to be aware, and eventually Hashem helps. And now, let me open the floor to questions, thoughts. It can be on this topic or any other topic, as long as it's not Lashon Hara, please. Um, please feel free to raise your hand if you have a question. Or you could type it in. Um, I'm reading a question here, and I'm, I'm sort of debating whether to answer it or not. Um, okay, um, please feel free to raise your question, raise your hand if you have a question. 
Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to read this question and we'll see if I'll answer it. Um, question goes like this. I'm in a scenario where my wife is an amazing person and I'm not trying to change her. Really? I don't, um, not sure I believe you, but okay. Um, and we all do it. It is the most annoying and most endemic part of being married. We always, always try to change our spouse. And if you say you're not, I don't believe it. Come on, you know, she'd be better if she would not He'd be better. It is the biggest obstacle to a successful marriage. We all do it. And it's one of the hardest things to learn, unlearn. But okay, let's assume you don't. Okay, but one concern is where <clears throat> she can't handle her emotions so easily. She's overly hormonal one day, and she'll be oversensitive to everything and overreact to everyone, including myself. That's one example. <clears throat> she sees a therapist, and we also see a therapist together for marriage. I was wondering if there's any way they can be brought up, not by me, of course, but my wife can use some different skills to help her in the marriage and people skills. Um, that's the job of the therapist, right? Remember, you're not trying to change your spouse, and it's very unlikely that she's going to be macabre from you, but hopefully that's the job of the third party to subtly bring it up and to subtly help her recognize what she's, how she's reacting and et cetera. But I, I think I'm over my head in this question because I'm not going to answer this further. So if you have a question and you'd like to raise your hand, please feel free to raise your hand. Um, I also want to mention, if you have not gotten a chance yet to get the 10 really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make, it is highly recommended. I mentioned before, the fellow in Lakewood who made it his life mission to get this book out there, he sold 900 copies in Basemedish Gavoa. Um, all the Lakewood is a buzz now with it. Uh, do read it. Don't read it. Many of the Rabbanim were asked. They said it's great. <laughs> Some Rabbanim came out against it. Mm, that made it much more popular because <clears throat> certain words in the book, I don't know exactly, but I spoke to a certain Rav in Lakewood who told me <clears throat> the certain thing he didn't like about it. I immediately called him first, and he said, tell him for me there's nothing wrong. It's the right thing. Anyway, <clears throat> I, <laughs> I highly recommend the book. If you like a copy, <clears throat> you can go to your local farm store. You go to BMG. Or you can go to Amazon, or you can go to theshmooze.com. If you go to theshmooze.com, you'll also get the audiobook, ebook, as well as the Marriage Transformation Bootcamp. You have to remember that theshmooze.com is spelled T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z. And on the top, you'll see a banner. You'll also see a place there to sign up for the WhatsApp group. Three, four times a week, we send out these inspirational, motivational videos, as well as the replay of the Shmuz Live, the Derech Hashem Shir, Wednesday night. So if you'd like to do that, you just go. You'll see a banner. You can join over there, and uh, you can also get the book over there. Okay, um, let me see one more question here. I'm an older single who at this point is looking for a working boy, yet someone who is in the regular Shiva system to high 20s and is a good learner. I'm being read to someone who went out to work already at 23 and is not a great learner. Is this something I should be looking at since I'm older? So it really depends on who the fellow is. You know, there are many guys who spend years in yeshiva, don't learn much. And many guys who don't spend that long, but learn very well. Uh, And more than anything, the question is who the person is. And I agree with you. Certainly, ideally, the fellow spends more years in yeshiva. It's generally better. But unfortunately, many guys who end up in yeshiva when they should no longer be there, but they stay there to get shaduch and whatever, and at that point, so it really depends on who the individual is. You have to look into the individual and see what they're about, see who they are, and see if, in fact, it's a quality fellow or not. Again, all things being equal, it's certainly better for fellows in yeshiva. Number one, he's learning. Number two, he's protected from the crazy world in which we live today. 
And a guy being single out there in the working world is a very, very frightening thought. Now, don't get me wrong. I know many fellows who are very solid, or even though they're out there in the workplace, uh, single. But again, it's the kind of thing where it certainly is less than ideal. So you have to look into him. You have to see who he is and what he's about. Okay, if you have any other questions, please feel free to type them in or to raise your hand. If not, I thank you very much for joining, and I hope to see you next week. Have a good Shabbos. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.